We continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians, if you'd make your way there. So far, we've had an in-depth study of all of chapter 1. We've seen that this book is also a good template for this year's church theme, Members One of Another, and especially our text today as we pick up where we left off in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, message I have titled, The Components of Unity in the Church. Now, there are times where it's easier to pay attention because of the text, because of something I might say or some some way I might behave, (laughs) which... (laughs) might alarm you or embarrass you or intrigue you, this is not one of those times. This is one of the times that you will have to listen on purpose and lock in. The minutia, uh, Brother Saylor alluded to, sometimes you have to get the pickaxe and dig out the gold uh, uh, out of the the ore. Uh, The the gold is is stuck in the iron ore and you've got to pickaxe it out. But at the end of this message, you will understand why this is so important for this particular local church at this time in our history. Now, I'm giving you that teaser, and I'm I'm not going to let you down on that. You will come to understand, uh, and in a fresh and a new way, as I have in the last week or two, of why it is so important that right now, at this time in the history of our church, we must be, have an understanding of the value of unity in the local church. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercies and compassions, fulfill ye my joy. And that is the key imperative verb in this passage, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Arguably, the two greatest threats to any living organism would be attack from without, and attack from within. We saw in chapter 1, at the end of it, in verses 28 through 30, the attack from without, Paul told the Philippians. And in verse 28 in chapter 1, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Verse 29, it's given unto you not only to believe, but to suffer. And so he concluded chapter 1 by talking about attacks from without. The body, the local church, is going to experience persecution from without if you're doing anything at all for the cause of Christ. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. And so they did, and Paul warned them in, uh, warned them in that. And then he went right in immediately into the next few verses talking about problems, attacks, from within. And I would argue that uh, in my uh, life, uh, Christian life, the greatest danger, the most anguishing pain of the soul is not when the world says, you're too narrow, you're too uh, uh, fundamental, you're too conservative for us. We can almost expect that. 
The greatest anguish is when the body attacks itself and that there is cancer in and within the body of Christ. Disunity, factions, cliques, slander, gossip, unforgiveness, all of that are deadly for the ministry of any local church. And it is amazing, just amazing, how many times in the New Testament uh, regarding brethren um, who are uh, to be serving the Lord with one mind and one heart. And how many times that uh, uh, exhortation is made because the Spirit of God led uh, the writers of Scripture, especially the Apostle Paul, to remind all of us that, hey, we are, we're still uh, operating uh, as dust. We're still here with the temptations and the struggles and the hurts and the heartaches. And if we let those take root, Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15 says, a root of bitterness will go down deep and it'll spring up into fruit and soil many. And so we are admonished time and time again in Scripture to walk in unity. Now I'm going to give you a few verses. And I want you to take note of where I've bolded, when I put it in bold. In Romans 15, uh, verses 5 and 6. Do I even have this on? I don't think I've turned that on yet. There I go. Romans uh, 15, verses 5 and 6. Now the God of patience and of consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them who are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11 be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, after three chapters of dealing with justification by faith, and that you come to him uh, by grace through faith, and that uh, you're now ordained unto good works, and, uh, and all of that, and then at the very end of chapter 3, be, uh, glory be unto him in the local church, immediately, as soon as it gets into the practical section in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, it doesn't deal with memorize scripture, give money to missions, or anything such as that. The very first thing, right out of the gate in the practical section, therefore, because of what I've just said, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation in which you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, the Lord created unity. We're called to guard that unity. For he says there is one body, only one body, one Spirit. You're called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that is baptism of the Spirit at the point of salvation. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And then our text here deals with this very subject. Paul wrote to the Philippians, and finally Jesus spoke about this in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, 
when he says, neither pray I for these alone, that is, the apostles who were there with him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. In other words, us. He prayed for us. That they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice it's not so that they would be evangelists or missionaries so that the world believe, but so that the world believed through seeing their oneness, their kindred spirit, their unity uh, in, in the faith, um, and the glory which thou gavest me, I've given them that they may be one, even as we are one. Wow, this is profoundly important, and it is so detrimental when it is not, that is not the case. And so that begs the question, why, the first point that we're bringing, is there to be unity in the church? What is the motivation? What is to be the motivation? Just because it's a good idea? Just because the preacher says so? Uh, just because um, the Word of God teaches it? Well, yes, on that point. But there are actually some compelling reasons, practically speaking, speaking, why we're given this. Why are local church members to walk in unity? Well, the conjunction, if you'll notice, in verse 1 of chapter to if there be therefore, it connects that passage with, I believe, going back to verse 27. Look at verse 27 of chapter 1. Let your conduct as it be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, we want to showcase the Lord Jesus to one another as well as to the world, uh, Jesus prayed, so that the world will know that, they'll be, that we're being glorified because they are one. Well, Philippians 1.27 says, let your conduct be as that which is consistent with Christ. Verse 2, or verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore, this is who you are to be. Now, if you'll notice in verse 1, four times the particle if is used. And Greek scholars tell us I'm not one of those. So in my study, I've learned that this particular uh, phrase, this particular word, has the idea of because of this or since this is the case. So, verse 27 of chapter 1 says, model Christ in your life. And verse 1 of chapter 2 says, since there's consolation in Christ. Or since it is the case that there's fellowship in the Spirit and, and there's tender mercies and compassions. And so it is a given that these are present among believers in the local church Therefore, the why, our motivation, is so that we might experience these and glorify the Lord. These four qualities must be practically present uh, in order for, verse 2, the joy to be fulfilled. Now, what are these four uh, aspects, these motivating principles? First of all, we see that we're motivated... Uh, by encouragement in Christ. Notice at the beginning of verse 1, if there's any consolation in Christ. In other words, if or since, better stated, there is a coming alongside of the Lord. And that's what the word encouragement means, a coming alongside. Since he does walk with me and talk with me through his word and tells me I am his own. Now, folks, that ought to, that ought to encourage our hearts that he, you are his and he belongs to you. Uh, 
by His Spirit residing within you. Since that is the case, and, and here's the part on the unity, since that is the case for each one of us who knows Him, that means we are partnering. We're walking alongside one another. He has, he has created that. He has created the, the arms linked together as the body, all the parts. There's no, there's no such thing as a, a, a vital living part of your body that's all floating around by itself. No, it has to be hooked in. It has to be joined into the rest of the body in order to be healthy. Amen? And so as a healthy body of Christ glorifying the head, the Lord Jesus, then we have that type of fellowship in him, with him, uh, that type of encouragement. And so we are walking along side by side with him and with one another. That's a good motivation to, to, uh, to cause unity uh, to be enhanced in the body. Secondly, we're motivated, notice, by comfort from love, if there or since there is comfort of love. Um, the word comfort means to speak closely with someone. And in my study, the noun love is in the genitive case, which means that it is uh, a pronounced sense of well-being. Uh, in other words, it, it, we are comforted um, by knowing, hearing in our souls, if you will, he loves me. Um, imagine, uh, imagine the child, the first grader, who goes off to first grade, gets on the school bus, wondering, will mommy and daddy be there when I get home? Can you imagine the, the, the stress, the, the tension, uh, the despair that comes over that six-year-old, that seven-year-old, if he or she actually thinks, was I a good enough little boy? Was I a good enough little girl? And that maybe I wasn't. And mommy and daddy won't love me. They won't be there. They will move away while I'm at school. What kind of uh, psychosis would that kind of thing generate? Can you appreciate what I'm saying? We don't have that. Now, that, that's an extreme example. But we don't have that with him. We are covered. He speaks closely to us who know him. And if he speaks closely to me, then he does to you as well as part of the same body. So that's a unifying thing. We can identify with one another when we say, God comforted me. Um, he, uh, he instructed me from his word. He counseled me from uh, the testimony of someone else. And on and on, we are comforted by that. Thirdly, since, or since it's the case that we have fellowship in the spirit, of course, the uh, the idea of fellowship biblically is we have a a, a commonality, uh, a commonality. We uh, we share in the same spirit. Every spirit, uh, every believer is indwelt by uh, the spirit of God. Therefore, we are linked together. And so, all of these things, by virtue of identifying with Christ, we are linked together. By virtue of uh, hearing Him say that He loves us and accepts us in. Uh, in the beloved, in Christ, we're linked together. By virtue of having a kindred spirit, the spirit of God lives within each one of us. Since that is the case, we have unity. And verse 2 says, commands the believer to fulfill the joy uh, of the apostle in this case. So those three things. And fourthly, since we have affection 
and compassion. Now, I did uh, as, as much of a word study as I could on these as I knew how to, and these are two different words, hence the uh, two, different transla- or two different words translated in English, affection and compassion, uh, but they're practically synonymous, and they had to do with gut-level care for one another. Now, before I came to know the Lord, uh, I, w- I cared about somebody maybe who had a tragedy at all, but now, with you all, it's as if, it's as if it, I own it. Um, it's as if it's part of me. When you hurt, truly, um, there is, there's something out of, there's something that it, 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 it takes the wind out of my sails as well, at least to some degree. Now, of course, not, not to the degree, uh, if you're having this surgery, of course, I'm not experiencing the same pain and anguish, but I enter in, and you do, and you enter in with me as well. Amen? Can you can get, a, get a witness that it matters when the body is hurting. Similarly, when you rejoice, I'm rejoicing too. I mean, I'm really rejoicing. By the way, remember last week uh, I told you that, uh, that I knew uh, of, a, of uh, an expectant uh, baby uh, in the congregation and, and I was the only one who was, had been told. That I, you remember me telling you that? And I was bragging on it. I was really, I was really uh, <laughs> uh, uh, getting a lot out of it. I now know of a second one. And it's not twins with this first one, okay? <laughs> so, so I'm rejoicing in that no, you cannot get it out of me. <laughs> not until the announcement is made. And so we share with one another um, in the deep things of life that the world cannot share with one another. Which is why I, uh, I tell folks and I, I counsel folks that have a situation uh, coming that's a part of the life, uh, part of this person's life, and, and it's going to become obvious. I, and, oh, Pastor, what should I do? Just rip the Band-Aid off. Just rip it off and, and, and come out with it, and let's all enter in together with that. Instead of trying to just kind of peel it away a little bit at a time over the course of days and weeks and months. Just rip it off, and uh, that way we can all enter in. Because if we are what this text tells us to be, then we're unified in one another's burdens, as well as in one another's rejoicings. Okay, that is the why. That's the motivation. Because all of these things are true. Secondly, how am I to live that out? How actually What is the mechanism for experiencing unity in the church? Verses 2 through 4 gives us that practical instruction. And as I indicated, verse 2 begins with a command that uh, we're to be, believers are to be in this, of course, uh, Paul wrote specifically to the church at Philippi for them to bring joy to his heart. And again, it's imperative. Uh, he, he is saying, and one could say that that ought to be the case, that each one of us could be receiving that command, that we're to be a joy giver to one another. Now, not all of you are blessed with the personality of my wife. And it's a good thing, because <laughs> we'd be exhausted <laughs> if that were the case. 
She said, I told her, uh, she sat down here in front uh, today at the front of the spout where the glory comes out. You know, Ellen's been down here uh, in, in Sailors since day one, uh, but Kathy thought she'd try it on too. But we're not all uh, like that with one another, but that's just a personality style. That's, that's not a, uh, that's not, she would have, she would be, uh, had that personality. And I would have my personality whether saved or not. But when uh, saved, there's still the joy of the Lord in our hearts, which ought to be shared. It's not something to be kept to ourselves. I'm to be expressing that, glorying in, in the Lord and rejoicing in what God is doing in your life. And so really, I, uh, you need to, let me give you some inside baseball here. And this is a very pastoral book. The book of Philippians is about as pastoral uh, as any book in Scripture. Paul planted the church in Philippi. Uh, he, he wrote to them. He cared about them. He loved them. And the heart of a pastor, and I've, uh, I've pastored here uh, on staff for um, coming up uh, 37, I think 37 years since 1986. You do the math. Um, and 30 of those years as a senior pastor. And I know uh, by experience the heart of a pastor is very similar to the heart of a parent. And so if you are a parent or if you are a grandparent, uh, to some degree you can understand that parents are grieved when the children are not getting along. Can I get a witness? When the children are bickering, when the children are at one another, uh, you're, not, you're not even involved. You don't even have to have been present and you hear about it. Especially you dads get a call in the middle of the day. You're going to have to come home and do something, you know. Um, but you know how that feels, right? Am I the only one who's ever experienced kids who've bickered with one another? <laughs> Some of you aren't saying anything. That's okay. It's probably better to be a little bit discreet on that. And you are rejoicing when they live together in a, a great measure of harmony um, tranquility with one another. Well, that is the heart of the Apostle Paul toward the church at Philippi. That's my heart. Um, and so that begs the question, okay, how can I be a joy giver then? And that's the command, by being like-minded. That's what it says here in verse 2. In fact, this verb for being like-minded or thinking uh, the same way, 26 times in the New Testament and 10 of those times are in the book of Philippians. Do you see the, the, the out of balance, the proportion there? The Apostle Paul is saying to the Philippians time and time again, be thinking like one another. Right thinking precedes right living. And the fruit of conduct comes from the fruit or the root of Christ being in their lives. And so that begs the question, if I'm to think like you, what is the item upon which we're to set our thinking? Glory for Christ in the church. My thinking, your thinking ought to be in its, its highest point, Ephesians 3.21, that glory be brought to Christ Jesus in the church throughout all ages. That ought to be our motivation as much as, as anything. And so if in fact we have unity by virtue of a shared uh, 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 presence of the Spirit and uh, uh, the love of Christ and His acceptance. We have that unity. He created it. How do we guard it? By purposefully saying, it's not about my way. It is not about your way. It doesn't matter what you like. Amen? 
Not ultimately. And it doesn't matter what I like. You know, uh, the dad or the husband in the home who functions as a tyrannical uh, uh, dictator, a redundant phrase there, that's not a healthy home. When dad says, I'm the boss, everybody sit down, shut up, we're doing what I say, and that being the case, and that being the norm, that is an unhealthy environment. And any church leader, any church member who says, it's my way or the highway, I'm going to take my toys and go home or go elsewhere, uh, that certainly does not infuse joy into uh, that church. And so we're to be like-minded by setting our focus intentionally on his glory. Now, we can all agree, I would hope, that that is preeminent, his glory. Amen? Give you another chance. The glory of Christ in the church is preeminent. Yeah, the text tells us that. And that's what it means by being like my. doesn't mean we don't have our own thoughts and styles and preferences. Of course we do. He didn't make us cookie cutters. Husbands and wives do with one another. But we can purpose to say, my style, wishes, desires, takes a way back. See, you can't even see it. It's so far back there. Compared to the brilliance and the majesty of Christ high and exalted and proclaimed by the church. When you're walking in unity, you can, yea, you must be all about that. Like-minded. You're a joy giver, you're like-minded, and you must be love-bound. Notice in verse 2, you be like-minded, having the same love. Chapter 1 and verse 9 spoke of that. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more. It's agape. It's a devotedness, a, a bonding to one another in love. It's, it's living out toward one another what Christ has uh, created in our hearts. In fact, Romans 5, 5b says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost given unto us. Imagine a huge paintbrush, uh, and it's dipped into, and God dips it into the paint bucket of agape love and he pulls it out and he he does a big swipe across your being that is what it is and he does that for all of us we're to be known as lovers of one another as we are of God now when you love me and you love me unconditionally that is now of course we're not talking about accepting my sin but love me unconditionally as a brother in Christ when you do that to me and I do that to you as a brother sister in Christ Wow, there's little room for, un- there's no room for unforgiveness and bickering and petty annoyances and all that. Because I love you and you love me. Then, and really only then, is there the unity that God has commanded. It is being bound to one another in love. And then fourthly, you'll notice in verse 2, they're to have soul oneness. That is, um, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship, uh, I'm sorry, that was verse one. Verse two is having the same love, being of one accord. The word there is joined in soul. Uh, it's uh, suke. Uh, Paul checked me on that, but I think that's uh, it's suke. That is soul, our mind, will, and emotions. That is, we actually do 
care about what is going on in one another's lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. So folks, what does that mean? It means that I'm not just putting up with you, that you're not just putting up with me, that there is an action. Did you check on that? And is, is it that word? Okay, I thought, it's soul, I, I, I'm not being pretentious. I didn't remember for sure. Uh, it's soul oneness. It's, uh, it's, the, it's at the gut level. Uh, agape love, uh, I can sacrifice for you. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I could get away with it looking like I cared. And maybe, uh, maybe I not. Not with this. This is now my, my I'm investing my guts. I'm pouring myself into you and to one another, even toward those who are not all that easy to feel that way toward. But I am purposing to do that because I'm honoring, glorifying the Lord. It's having though that, in, that emotional bond with one another. And then at the end of verse 2, notice, it says, having one purpose. Notice at the end of verse 2, uh, being uh, uh, of one accord, of one mind. Again, it's almost synonymous with number 2 right here, having one purpose and one-mindedness. Uh, and I studied this and studied this and I said, okay, now what's the distinction? Uh, it wouldn't be uh, the Spirit of God would say the exact same thing twice in the, in the same verse, probably, uh, because these are all differentiated. What is the difference? It seems to me the distinction is this. This is a participial phrase on having to do with minding something. So it is purposing the same thing. In other words, whatever we do as a church within the will of God, let's purpose to do it together. Let me give you an anecdote. And I ask permission to do this because pastor's kids sometimes get, uh, uh, get uh, a raw deal uh, from time to time. So I asked I ask my son if I could share this. And he didn't particularly want me to, but, but he gave me a release to because it's bragging on him. And I'm not bragging on him because he's a pastor's kid. I'm bragging on, on him because this is such a great illustration of what this means. A couple of years ago, where's Ed? Where are you, Ed? How, many, uh, how much money did we uh, spend uh, on the parking lot, the, the concrete patios and, and the like? $70,000? More than that? North of that? Somewhere in there. Under 100, more than 50. We spent a lot of money uh, as a church our size. And, it, and we brought it uh, to a Sunday morning vote, and we had, we had lots of parking lot repair that needed to be done. Uh, not, a pay, not an overpayment, but just repairs, as well as uh, two huge uh, concrete patios, that is, uh, the entrances that came uh, into the parking lot. So the property committee uh, got on it, finance committee, uh, they worked on it, and they brought it to us for a vote on a Sunday morning. And, and uh, it, it, 97, 8% vote affirmative to, to go with it. And we did, and it's great. At lunch that day, uh, after the morning service, my son, uh, Adam, who grew up here, he's only, he's only been a part of this church his whole life, said, uh, uh, Dad, I didn't know we were doing that with the parking lot. And I said, oh, no, that, that project's been underway for some time. Uh, uh, and he asked me about it and, and all. And, uh, and I didn't ask him, uh, but he said, well, I voted yes. And I said, uh, you, and it, was a, it was a secret ballot vote. And he told me, he, he wasn't bragging. He was just, we were talking about the subject. So he just said, uh, I voted yes. And I said, no, you didn't know that we were doing this until you arrived at church. A, a little bit of detail was given. And we were spending a, lo- a load of money on this 
Why would you have voted yes? Hear this. Because I know the chairman and the members of the property committee, and I know the chairman and the members of the finance committee, and I so trust them that I know that it was the right thing. That is operating with one purpose. Did you all follow what I just said? We don't know all the minutia that's going on in, in Awana or, or in the choir or with audiovisual or with our streaming online or with our missionaries and on and on. I don't, I don't know. I did not know until this last week that we were putting new flooring down around the fellowship hall. <laughs> I walked in all the carpets torn up. I said, hmm, it would be good if I knew what was going on around this place. What was it a while? But we serve, but I trust I literally, I trusted that this is exactly what we need to do. Why? Because I know people have been working on the. It's not my church, and it's not your church. Amen? It's his church. And if we're doing what we're doing uh, for the glory of God, that's why uh, my son could say, I voted yes, because I trust that the committees that the church approved and budgeted, that they are doing exactly what God would want them to be doing. Now that, it was, I said to him, I said, that's one of the best things I think I've ever heard as a pastor, that you have the same purpose. And you're not, you're not questioning, you're not, you're, not, you're not suspicious, and you're not judging, is this, is this foolish, is this what? No. Now it could be that we don't do, in fact it is that we don't do everything exactly perfectly, but we accept and, re- and believe one another. Why? Because love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. First Corinthians 13. Okay, have one purpose. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> you knew we'd, we'd get to this. It requires humility. If you're going to be like this, it requires humility. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. Don't look on your own things, verse 4, but every man on the things of others. Oh, my. This is the third time Paul has brought the idea of thinking into this because it's that important. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as you think in your heart, so are you, so is he. And so being self-disciplined with humble thinking will be a preventative for the ugliness of strife. It'll be a preventative from exalting self. How can I then? How can I actually give myself to humble thinking? And this is how. By not focusing on your your humility, because that would be counterintuitive, right? But by glancing at yourself, my issues, my desires, I would rather have had us done something else in the parking lot. I'd, I'd, I'd rather us do something on the other thing here and there. But just taking a glance at that, because you're not denying that you do have your own preferences and your own feelings, but you're gazing upon the Savior, the head, and by extension, the health of the body. And your personal preference does not rise to the level of importance as body health. And I'm saying that to myself as well. Folks, I've been the senior pastor here 
for 30 years with God as my witness. I do not believe one single time. I don't, I don't know of a single time. If you can offer one and correct me, then I'll receive that. But not one time have I said, I'm the under-shepherd, I'm the educated one, I'm the one with experience, I have the pulpit, we're doing this in discussion. I don't even know if I've entertained such a concept. Why? It's not healthy. We do have a head who has given us strict marching orders. Amen? And we're all to yield to that. And he said, unity will bring the health of the body. Humility is present. When you can look at other brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I want to emulate that. Not, I wish he was more like me. I wish she would understand this particular peripheral point of doctrine like I do. But instead, I want to have that kind of humility. I want to be like him. I want to be like her. Not focusing on self, but on the Savior and the health of his body. Now, I close with this. And I asked myself this in the last couple of days. Vic, Redbridgers know all of this. We are biblically literate. We can read. We know theology. And we are unified. I'm not preaching this because we're having any problems at all. I'm preaching it because this is the next thing. But I stumbled across a concept, a thought, that so resonated in my soul. And here's what I teased you with at the beginning of the message, and it's this. William Barclay, and I'm not signing, off for, signing on for all of his theology. I don't, I don't know him uh, well enough to know of his writings. But he wrote this. The one danger which threatened the Philippian church was that of disunity. There, there, and we know that because of the text here. There is a sense in which that is the danger of every healthy church. For it's when people are really in earnest, when their beliefs really matter to them, that they are apt to get up against each other. The greater their enthusiasm, the greater the danger that they may collide. Good night. When I read that, a sense, I just shuddered. That is us. We are filled with, you don't, you would not be a Red Bridger if you were indifferent. You are a Red Bridger because, because truth matters to you. Doctrine matters to you. A high view of Scripture matters to you. The glory of God matters to you. Christ exalted matters to you. This church is not about following. It's not a personality cult. It's not that at all. It is not, uh, well, I, I, uh, I like this style of worship. I like that style of preaching. No, you are a red bridger because you are serious about Christ. And you believe this is a place about, with people fill, uh, filled with people who are serious about following him. Ergo, you have solid, clear, deep convictions. And so do I. And so does the person sitting next to you on either side. Which means that we can injure one another much more easily than if we were nonchalant. Are you all following this argument that Barclay, I thought, that's us. We absolutely could potentially rip a part of the seams over very little if we were not careful. 
We're serious about theology, ministry, missions, evangelism, Bible study, worship. We're serious about we know We know who we are, we know who he is, we know what he wants. And we want to follow that. And if any of us were tempted to be in the flesh, to demand our own way, to only preserve our little area of the kingdom, then discord is going to follow. I think of our committee work. Every month, certainly every year, the finance committee has significant decisions, life-changing decisions even to make with how money is handled. And we've entrusted them with that responsibility. And there can be disagreement on that committee. The personnel committee, similarly. The missions committee. Even right now, God give wisdom and unity to the missions committee. Major decision. Life-altering decisions which must be made because of the hand that we've been dealt the search committee for an assistant pastor. Been working for a year. Hard working for a year. All the time working. These folks need to be sent on a Hawaiian vacation when they're done. To find God's man and not to settle. We're not going to just settle. If you're looking for a husband or wife, you're not going to just settle. I hope. Don't talk to Kathy about that. <laughs> Worship style. Uh, in t- Bible translation, which one you use. I mean, there's a, z- a myriad of things which can cause those who are conservative and narrow, as we are, dare I say rigid, possibly, as we could be, any one of us, we can start tugging at each other in these areas and it be unhealthy. Now, why do I say that? Uh, To put us down? No. To send a loud warning that if your area of conviction does not rise to the level of denying Christ, be very careful about how tenaciously tenaciously you hold to it. Might it be even an area of pride? Might it be you want to hold your ground as hallowed. You know, there are areas I'm struggling with this sleeve. I hate this sleeve. I don't ever use the word hate. Hardly. Ever. Um, There are areas of my theology that are it's the minority view. Uh, my, my view on alcohol as a beverage might be the minority view here. Possibly. Think, what is your view? Yeah, I don't want to get distracted with that right now. My view on divorce and remarriage very well is the minority view at this church. And yet we function fine. Why? Because it doesn't rise to the level of denying Christ, throwing out Scripture, and, and all. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? And yet, I have resolute convictions on this. And you do as well. When we bring those things into the arena of 
here's, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And if you cross over it, then we're done. The body is diseased and falling apart. I thank the Lord that the best I know, there are Calvinists here and there are Arminians in this church. Relative in both cases. Maybe strong in both cases. There are dispensationalists and there are covenantalists. There are those who don't have any idea what the words are I just said. (laughs) And we are able to serve together in a healthy way only when glory is brought to him in the church throughout all ages. Of course, truth matters. And I have resolute convictions. Let me let you in on a little bit more inside baseball and we're done. Uh, I've had two wives for 40, 42, 43 years, married twice. Now your position on divorce and remarriage isn't that strong, preacher. No. First wife is with the Lord. And neither wife was a photocopy of me. We, we were not just like that in every understanding of every point in theology. Either pastor's a liberal or one of his wives was. (laughs) No, God has us all at various levels of understanding and growth and, and all, right? And in this case, he's waiting for me to catch up to Kathy and, uh, and we'll be fine. The components of unity in the church. I can't overstate the, the significance Scripture has and places on this subject. Lord, I'm so thankful for teaching us about yourself from this and what it means to serve together in the local church in unity. May we model that in this local church till you call.